0: Welcome to season three of This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley, a podcast about the Bay Area technology and culture. I'm your host, Sunil Rajaraman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Yasha kakis Man,
1: Sunil, it feels like it's been forever since you and I chatted about the podcast. Feels like forever, right?
0: Yeah, we're both uh, in the thick of it right now. We, it's just been nonstop coping with COVID and
1: you know, you you know, know
0: new jobs and Zoom calls. And gosh, I don't uh, know, like the days just all blend into one.
1: The burnout's real. Well, here's a funny one. So uh, we have a, a pretty cool guest today on the podcast, Sarah Fryer, um, who's a reporter, has written an awesome book. We'll talk about that in a second. But I was listening to it. Uh, before you and I hopped on to record this intro and uh, we started the conversation, we do start the conversation talking about being locked into our places, dealing with the smoke of the fires. And I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, when was this like a year ago? But it was only a few weeks ago. Like The the velocity of change and the stuff that we're dealing with right now is just hard to comprehend. There's so much stuff going on.
0: No filter. Um- the book that Sarah wrote is just a really interesting look into uh, the rise of Instagram and how it changed under, you know, corporate management, you know, Facebook made that acquisition and it was one of the most successful in, you know, the history of all of tech and things change. And so they do change into some of those details. What do you
1: think about Instagram these days? Do you like Instagram more than two years ago?
0: You know, I liked. I, I've consistently liked Instagram throughout its, uh, you know, change from being pre- Facebook to post- Facebook. I've just always, you know, I've always enjoyed the product. The, uh, you know, we previously had a guest, Adam Mosseri, who, you know, on the other side of it was the uh, CEO of Instagram.
1: Yeah, I I think I'm kind of with you. I I have generally appreciated Instagram kind of throughout its evolution as an independent and now as a part of Facebook. I'm a little kind of not super keen on the connection of the messaging products across. I think I accidentally hit update about a week ago and I I now have the Facebook Messenger embedded inside of Instagram. But other than that, I don't know, I think I'm kind of iffy on Reels. I still really like Instagram today. It's a kind of a testament to when you hit product market fit, Um, even when you try and make a bunch of changes to it, if that product market fit is a real product market fit? It sticks.
0: I think you're going to really enjoy this interview today.
1: Sarah, thanks for taking some time with us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: We're, uh, are you locked in your house, locked in your apartment?
2: I feel like I've been locked in my apartment for a few weeks now. It's, it's completely white outside. Uh, but, you know... We are already doing that with COVID in a sense. And now we've just completely escalated it for Uh, the climate situation.
1: uh, Did you ever think that when you moved to the Bay Area that you'd be comparing AQI scores uh, from different neighborhoods and different counties around?
2: Never. I grew up here, which is the crazy part. I went to Mountain View High School. Uh, I was born in Fremont and never remember... Having this during my youth, this constant consideration of smoke and feeling of, of not being able to go outside. I, I just, I, you know, high schools here are all open air. I, I just don't remember this ever being a problem. So yeah. to me, it's, it's quite shocking. It's like a, this, it's, my, the state I love is is on fire. Well, we like to say it's the still the ever. it's
1: still the greatest state in the nation, but boy, we've got some problems right now. You're a Bay Area native. You in 50 plus interviews that we've done, I think Sunil what it's been like four or five people max are actually Bay Area natives. So that's that's pretty unique. You're in rarefied air.
2: I didn't realize how rare the Bay Area is until I left it. I think a lot of people here take for granted that you know, we all kind of have this this image of of the same kind of idealism about the future. We all kind of agree that the environment matters. Uh, we all uh, you know understand technology, and, in a sense, we're just surrounded by it. Uh, I went to school in in North Carolina at the University of North Carolina, and and that's when I realized, like, wow, I have a really different perspective on on the country than than other others, and I, I just love to to learn. I feel like it's important for people in the Bay Area to get out of the Bay Area to realize uh, what we have here. Would you ever move in back ha- to North Carolina? Did I what?
1: Would you ever move back to North Carolina?
2: Oh, I loved, I loved North Carolina. I feel like, uh, you know, it challenged me. Like, when I was going to school there, I felt almost like an out-of-state student in that I realized that I, I had opinions and I, I realized that i i had this unique background uh, but i think that you know when i when i talk to people here uh who are from here and they're they're building the products that people use around the world um there's just a, a lack of of, of understanding of, of that just the different backgrounds that people come from so i'm very grateful for the experience so sarah um
0: let's Let's get right into uh, the the stuff that you work on because I, I've been this, experiencing this uh, this concept during the pandemic myself. So, in your book, No Filter, um, you talk a little bit about mental health, and you know the UK did some studies on Instagram, where it's apparently the most damaging social media platform for young young children, or I guess teenagers. And maybe you can elaborate more on that. Um, but I have been, like, I'm a pretty big social media person. I have stopped looking and stopped posting in the past week, and I have to say, I feel better. (laughs) Tell me uh, a little bit about what you learned in the process of researching this book as it relates to Instagram and mental health.
2: I learned that Instagram is, is a place where we curate the best version of ourselves for others, even if we don't consider ourselves to be content creators or influencers or using it professionally, we're still always thinking about what is somebody else going to think about what I'm posting? How can I put it into the context that, that matters? What are my best angles? What's my best lighting? Uh, what's the best crop of this picture? And, and I think it's trained us all to understand that, that we're being watched and that we have to perform for those who are watching, and it's kind of turned us all into curators of our own miniature media companies. It's very different on Instagram than it is on Facebook. On Facebook, you are you are sharing with people who also share with you. There's like that mutual aspect of it. Instagram people don't have to uh, follow each other. It's it's. Oh, like a one-to-many broadcast platform, and that changes how we think of it. And the metrics that were given on Instagram—that follower count, the comments, uh, the likes on our photos—are are signals for us to to figure out how to do it better next time. I think we are we are all self-improvers by nature as a society. We all want to succeed, and I think that those those numbers that were given have trained us, uh, explicitly or not, to do the things, go out and have the experiences and uh, take the right kinds of pictures and follow certain trends that we may not otherwise if we didn't have this image-based social network measuring us and showing us how.
0: So um, I'm curious just in day-to-day life, you know, how, your own research for this book maybe affects how you look at social media so say for example i don't know let's just let's just say uh, yasha happens to post a lot of pictures of his dog or i guess as it were his his horses or whatever does that mean that he doesn't love his horses or his dog or whatever like the more that he has to curate images of them to illustrate to the outside world that he loves them maybe he doesn't <laughs>
2: Well, I, I mean, I I did. I think sometimes you can get in in mind games about that. Like sometimes when you see a couple post a ton of selfies together, you, you think to yourselves, "Is that a performance? That they want to? <laughs> did they so post a selfie every time they make up from a fight? Like is that the game?" Um, but but I honestly think that that it's. I don't want to be super cynical about it. I think that a lot of people, especially now are looking for human connection. They're looking for ways to relate to other people. They're trying to figure out the best way to say it. And, and I don't think that a level of posting is commensurate to love. Um, but I do think that Instagram, it, it's a social network where we can see the effects as we walk around and experience our our world in a way that we can't as easily see the effects of Facebook and Twitter. If you go to a restaurant, you'll see people taking pictures of their food. If you go to a coffee shop, you'll see that it's, you, the new ones are designed in this sort of minimalist style. Um, you see people buy the same kinds of, of plants for their home decor, very Instagrammable. The, the term Instagrammable is something that we have absorbed and, and act at in a way to achieve that that uh, kind of aesthetic so I think that it changes our behavior in that way and I I do think that um, a lot of relationship aspects become performative like when when you are a teenager and you are expected to comment on your friend's photos in order to show support uh, because if you don't, then you're a bad friend. And, and there are all these games that we start to play with ourselves. There are all these layers of analysis that we start to do on top of the analysis that Instagram gives us. And it becomes quite all-consuming. And I think that what we've seen recently uh, with, with COVID and this moment where we all have to to keep some distance from each other, maybe can't go on those quite Instagrammable vacations or go to the the uh, fine dining restaurants that we'd want to show off. Um, or even if we did do that in spite of it all, maybe we wouldn't want to share it because uh, there, there would be a level of judgment that we'd feel. I, I've seen the kinds of activities people are engaging with on Instagram change. I've seen a lot more, a lot more text, a lot more video, and, um, and and a lot more activism. Actually, it's been it's been a really interesting shift in um, how people use the network, and and have become more willing to be vulnerable on it. If that makes sense,
1: I think it does. It, we've certainly been talking a bit about how people act on Instagram. I'm kind of curious your point of view about the business of Instagram, and and maybe one question before we get into the business of Instagram like, do you like Instagram? Do you think it's a good place for people?
2: It depends how you use it. And one thing I tried to accomplish with my book is demystifying what happens behind the scenes and how people are being so strategic about their Instagram presence. So we can start to disentangle ourselves from that kind of pressure that we were talking about earlier. So you don't when you go to Instagram a, a very unhealthy way to use it would be to see how other people's lives look and compare your own life to that and feel bad, right? That that's a very that's a very common way people use Instagram and it's very negative. And I think if you understand that other folks on Instagram maybe they're using FaceTune to clear out their skin, maybe they're using a a service that that ensures that they're photos get lots of comments on them. Maybe they are making their lives look more successful and beautiful than they actually are. Maybe they're extremely good at photo editing. There are all these things that that go into it. And, and not just the personal choices that people make with Instagram, but the choices that Instagram itself has made about what kind of content to promote, what kind of celebrities to promote, who to listen to from a customer service perspective. I mean, there's so much... Um, so much work that Instagram has done to chart the course of who becomes famous on Instagram. I think a lot of people who try to win at Instagram and and build a brand there or build a a business there don't realize that, that it's not a total meritocracy.
1: So are you like really down the line on it? Like you're, you're um, neither, you don't believe that Instagram is good or bad. It's just used in different ways. Is that a fair way to characterize that?
2: I mean, I think that I think it's, it's untransparent. <laughs> I think that it's high pressure. I think that it's shifting the way we behave. I think it's powerful. Um, I think that it needs to be understood because it, it's now this, this force in society that has caused us all to have like a, a personalized media diet, a way of performing for others, and, and without understanding that, it can be damaging.
0: Um, oh, another, especially I mean, for another revelation, well, and, in, in, uh, sorry to we do this thing, every remote <laughs> podcast that we've had <laughs> since the pandemic, where there's, it's inevitable that, uh, either Yasha and I talk over each other or we talk over a guest. It happened again. Sorry, Sarah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but one of the, one of the revelations from your book was, you know, Instagram as kind of a spot for potential election manipulation. And I was hoping you would spend a minute on that especially given November's right around the corner and it's at the top of everyone's mind. So you know we, we're talking about it very much in the context of being damaging or helpful to the individual. But what about society? and what did you learn there?
2: Okay, here's what you need to understand. Instagram as a part of Facebook Inc is not the priority. Facebook is the priority, and the the problems that have come to light on Facebook, the election interference that happened via Russia, uh, with you, know, disinformation that went viral, uh, the kinds of of fake news that trickles into people's feeds, the Facebook groups that have radicalized people, all of that has gotten a lot of attention. Instagram. Is has just as many sinister corners as Facebook, and damaging influences on on society, and they're harder to see because there's no resharing on Instagram, there's no virality, and so the problems on Instagram are hidden in hashtag communities. They are um, they are not pieces of content that go viral as much as people who become famous and then start spouting very dangerous things and we've seen that especially in the wellness community on instagram with covid but now also in in with the QAnon of conspiracy movement we've seen that crop up on instagram we have seen a whole lot of of the same kinds of mani- election manipulation uh, that we saw in, in 2016 the thing the thing that people don't realize about the 2016, like we talk we talk about it so much in regards to Facebook, people don't realize that there were actually more posts created by Russia on Instagram and that a lot of the voter suppression efforts were centered on Instagram. There was a, a influencer account created by a Russian operative that tried to build a, a following in the Black community and ended up having hundreds of thousands of followers and then started telling Black people that it, it wouldn't be worth it to vote in the election because nobody nobody was taking their issues seriously. There was another uh, Instagram account that that tried to build a, a feminist following and then started to tell people that they didn't think that Hillary Clinton was a good feminist. And so I think that Instagram can be a... a, a just as important place for for looking at election manipulation, but I think that it also gets so many less resources than Facebook does. And one thing that I, I reveal in my book is that Mark Zuckerberg actually became concerned that Instagram was gaining popularity rather quickly in a way that would cannibalize Facebook success and he started to restrict resources for Instagram and he started to tell, instagram on the the integrity and platform uh, the sort of cleaning up the message side of the business he said that they had to start reporting into the facebook group that that was dealing with with the same kind of election interference on facebook and that they would have to use their resources if they wanted to address the problems on instagram but the problems on instagram as i just explained are very different so the same machine learning doesn't apply the same um kinds of of uh groups may not maybe express in a completely different way on Instagram and, and the company is not prepared for that.
0: We've had uh you know numerous guests in the past. Obviously Facebook is a is a hot topic of discussion. We've had, you know, um Kara Swisher, we've had Antonio Garcia Martinez who wrote the book Chaos Monkeys. We had Adam Lasseri uh on the podcast as a previous guest as well. When the the reason I bring this up is you know we've we've heard different perspectives on how Facebook and Instagram are run. My question to you is just quite simply, wouldn't I mean Mark Zuckerberg strikes me as very you know shareholder value driven, and you know it wouldn't it be in his and the companies and the shareholders' best interest to focus resources on Instagram and does does that line of thinking that you just described work work for or against shareholder interest, and like, am I what am I missing here?
2: Well, I think that you could argue that if Facebook was doing what its users wanted explicitly, that it might invest more into Instagram and allow Instagram to cannibalize Facebook. And maybe in the short term, there wouldn't be as high average revenue per user, but in the long term, um, it, it may be a more viable alternative. Of course, what Zuckerberg has chosen to do is centralize everything with Facebook, integrating Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, and Messenger into this one mega network that can that can connect people across all of these different products. Um, so you have to ask the question, do people want these products to remain separate? Do they want them to be merged? Is that a I mean, what do you guys think? Do you guys want these products to merge? Does that seem useful to you? Or does that seem like... On the
0: messaging side, uh, I'll, I'll answer, and then I know Yasha has, has a follow-up question related to this. But um, on the messaging side, it could be pretty interesting. I mean, um, I know that there's been talk of this. And in fact, they even adjusted the product recently. I mean, Instagram, even though it isn't technically out yet to allow integration between and interoperability between instant or uh, Facebook Messenger and Instagram Messenger, I love the idea of a universal, you know, Facebook messaging platform. So like WhatsApp, Insta and Messenger, I think that would be a great, great potential experience because they control like, you know, billions of people and across the world. But I'm talking to my relatives from India, it's all on WhatsApp. And I hate having to go to Messenger, WhatsApp and Instagram. I, I, would, I would love an integrated experience personally.
1: So awesome, Neil, that's such a like, Silicon Valley answer. <laughs> well, I'm just giving you a hard time. I, I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I actually think the only reason to combine all of those experiences is because it benefits them as a business, right? You've got a wider network to do better targeting against and create more opportunities for engagement. I, I don't think it's in the consumers' interest at all. It's all in the business interest. So I think, it's okay, fact-
0: well, like, so Yasha, we haven't gotten into a good old fashioned, you know, argument about, you know, something since the pandemic started, because we can't face each other in a room. But do you feel the same way about Android and iMessage interoperability, like put put aside Facebook for a moment? I hate having the, the green message, the blue message, and then basically, you know, having like different delivery SLA and just inability to do certain things. Like. I mean, if you if you had to make it a Google versus Apple thing, would you feel the same way? Is yeah. my question to to both of you?
1: Well, um, I, I want to talk about like purpose built applications because I think Instagram, going back to Instagram, was that like it was an application that was built for a very specific use, and now it's being kind of. Uh, kind of morphed into something that has a relationship into this broader business strategy for Facebook. I, I think the Google Apple discussion is always interesting, but at the end of the day, if I'm a consumer and I have the means, I want to be able to opt into the services and the products that I want. And interoperability is interesting and important from a business context, from a consumer perspective. I would prefer to let my purchase decision make that decision, not with the company's business model informed. And that's just my perspective. I don't know, Sarah, if you disagree with both of us. I
2: mean. <laughs> you know, I, I've spent a lot of time talking to people who have used Instagram in part because they're trying to escape from Facebook and they see Instagram as the viable alternative or people who have deleted Facebook and they, they use WhatsApp every day because that's how people communicate in their country. Um, I, I think that, that you're right. There's this, this consumer want to have a different venue, like people who build completely different identities on Instagram than they have on Facebook? Whether it's their creative identity versus their personal identity, and some people don't want those to mix. So I do think it should be a matter of consumer choice. I I see the argument for the messaging side from a commerce perspective. I feel like that's that's the big thing you want is a way to a way to talk to customers, especially in countries like. India and Brazil where WhatsApp is incredibly prominent prominent in commerce, but Instagram is the image based platform where products are showcased. Mm-hmm. having that interoperability makes sense. Um, but I do think that that you have problem, you have problems then with the encryption with the, with the, the expectation of privacy that people have on WhatsApp versus Instagram. Um, I think, from a regulatory perspective, you need to look at it that way too, because Facebook is consolidating power. Right? All these networks, when they're disparate networks, are are less powerful than if they are all doing the same thing for their users, um, and it reduces consumer choice a little bit. So I, I think that that as regulators around the world try to determine what should be done about Facebook's increasing power. Now more than 3 billion people around the world using their products. Facebook is responding ahead of time by making sure those products are more tightly integrated and unable to be spun off. Yeah.
1: So I, I have a good question about another purpose built app. Maybe that's the right way to say it. Maybe it doesn't technically that. Uh, Instagram had, has been on a rise and is now part of Facebook and I think becoming more like Facebook and all, all that you've written about. And all, uh, all while that has been happening, an Upstart shows up with TikTok. And TikTok has grown a pretty massive following in a relatively short period of time. And it's, um, it's now a part of popular culture in a way where Facebook and I think Instagram to an extent start to mimic some of the features or copy some of the features that show up on it. Like do you do you think that Instagram can survive? Or survive as totally unfair. They're gonna survive, they'll be fine. Do you think that Instagram knows how to compete with something like TikTok?
2: It takes a long time for tech products to die, you're right. I, I don't think that uh, that things like reels that's their TikTok copycat. I don't think like things like reels are going to work as well as prior attempts to copycat competitors. I in In Instagram stories, they competed with Snapchat in a way that felt extremely native to Instagram. It made sense. It solved a problem that was happening uh, for Instagram users, which is that people felt like there was too much pressure to post. Uh, They felt like everything they posted on their feed had to be completely polished and curated. It had to be the best thing they'd ever done um, every time. And... That meant that people were posting less, which was actually a big business problem because the more people post, the more slots there are for ads. And uh, the people that were posting often were the celebrities and the uh, influencers who knew exactly what time of day to post. And people were then comparing themselves to the celebrities and influencers that they followed and feeling less like their content was worthy. So Instagram stories really solved that problem because it gave people a a place to have ephemeral content where the pressure was relieved where they didn't have to necessarily uh you know perform all the time i don't think that reels is solving a problem on instagram you already could post short video clips in in succession. Instagram already had a video product. They had IGTV. People were already posting their TikToks on Instagram. Now they're just posting more of their TikToks on Instagram. I don't think that it fills a gap except for in the competitive marketplace where you know, Zuckerberg is seeing TikToks rise and saying, what have we got as an answer to this? And and I think that if you're building your product from a, a business standpoint as opposed to a user standpoint like that's when you build something like reels but uh so far when i go i don't know about you guys but when i go to reels it's like everything has a tiktok watermark <laughs>
0: totally does I only well get i'm garbage not yeah out. i mean i'm not on social media but i did catch a glimpse of uh, of reels before i i by the way this is since the fires i don't know what it is about the fires but the fires really pushed me over the edge on i can't I can't look at instead knowing that the entire West Coast is on fire and the cognitive dissonance between that and seeing somebody eating at a restaurant outdoor, uh, outdoors with like a mask on. like It's it just, not
2: a time to some, feel optimistic, aspirational, et cetera. Like you can't make plans right now because you don't know when the air is going to clear up. I understand that. That's right.
0: Um, I have uh, uh, one more question. and I know Yasha has our, our standard wrap-up questions, but... Um, we have heard, I feel like previous guests on the podcast joke about um, Snap. So I'm curious to hear your take on Snap. And the joke usually involves something along the lines of, oh, yeah, Facebook uh, treats Snap like it's R&D department or, you know, like <laughs> internally employees joke that, yeah, Snap, Snap's our best, uh, best R&D research. So, but, but Snap's made a bit of a comeback here. And I'm curious in, in your interviews, you know, for the book, et cetera, how much Snap came up and if you personally have a perspective on Snap and, and what they're doing here.
2: Rumors of Snap's death have been greatly exaggerated. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a product that has more users than Twitter. People don't know that. I, I don't know how, but but I think it's just the the tech industry chattering class is on Twitter and they're not on Snapchat. But the youth of America is on Snapchat, and it's incredibly influential. Uh, I, I wrote a story this summer about how Snapchat is going to be critical for the youth vote. They're registering. Everyone who turns eighteen gets a notification in their profile for the week of their birthday to remind them to register to vote. Uh, it is the, it is the messaging platform for for youth, and I I think that it's it's a it's still inspiring, uh, Facebook, but it feels so different than than Facebook or TikTok. I think Snap has has something really unique going on, uh, and they're not trying to to be like they've certainly had stumbles. I, I think Snapchat Spectacles was, you know, very either ill ill thought out or timed um, or manufactured or marketed. Um, but I think that the stuff that they've done on AR has been really fun, and it's it's cool to see a social media company do something that's just plain fun. Uh, I think that's one reason people like TikTok, and that's certainly a reason why people like Snap.
1: Well, I think the secret to Snap staying off our radar around here is that they're just they're not in the Bay Area. That's the answer. That's why you build a company in Los it. Angeles. I mean, I
2: also don't think that they want to be on the radar of the the business press. I I don't think that Evan Spiegel really values that. I think he'd rather be influential in culture.
1: Yeah, I totally buy that. This has been a super fun conversation. We really appreciate being here. Before we wrap up, we ask all of our guests one important question and it's temporal. So right now, as you're spending time on Twitter or Insta or other networks, who are the people or the brands or the organizations that you follow that you think the listeners of this podcast would get some value from?
2: I'm following a lot of climate scientists on Twitter right now. I'm sure you are as well. I I wish I could remember the specific handles. Uh, I would say if you if you care about social media, though, I I really appreciate the work that that. Uh, Casey Newton has done at the verge. Mm -hmm. Um, I appreciate the work that NBC is doing on disinformation. Um, I, I think that together, if you follow, uh, those folks, you will get a good sense of the societal impact of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter beyond just the business impact.
1: Sarah, we really appreciate you taking time today. Um, stay healthy and stay safe. Thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me. So Yasha, how,
0: how often are you using Instagram during COVID?
1: You know, I, I found myself using it less and less. I I honestly believe that it's probably a couple times a day that I'm turning it on and kind of spacing out and paying attention to it. I do find myself using TikTok more and more during COVID. Are you the same?
0: Uh, I actually, you know, just deleted Instagram from my phone, um, because I, I felt like it was just such a time suck wow. and so I got hours of my life back every day after I made that decision and wasn't speculating in stories who was hanging out with who and <laughs> um and what was going on and what cool things were I was you know kind of yeah. missing out I mean it, it really deleting Instagram for me felt good
1: well I um I think that's kind of funny. I wonder what Sarah would say about that uh, a few weeks after talking to her. I really enjoyed today's conversation. I think that she's super insightful. It clearly comes across in the way that she writes. Also, this is not a a hit piece by any stretch of the imagination. Um, She's just, she's an awesome guest to have today.
0: Yeah. Really, really great guest. Um, You know, lively discussion. If you use Instagram, you definitely do not want to miss this episode. Um, And, you know, we, uh, we record a little less frequently than we normally do, but we assure you more episodes are coming very soon.
1: And we're probably going to, uh, open up the fourth season soon. That's going to be a big milestone for us. Thanks for listening today.
0: Yeah. Sounds good.
1: Thanks for listening to This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as Sunil and I enjoyed recording it, please go back to the application you found this podcast on, rank us five stars, leave us a comment. We read every single one. Thanks for listening to This Is Your Life in Silicon Valley.